Grain Seeker. I'm here with Captain Tastic and Tarn Adams, our illustrious leader, also known as Toady One. And we are here to announce that there is a brand new game called Dwarf Fortress that you should all be playing. It's free. It's all new. And it's all dwarfy. And it's not released yet. (laughs) (laughs) But it's still new. So anyway, welcome back to another episode of Dwarf Fortress Talk. Um, We're going to be discussing today um, combat mechanics. And what was the other thing? Uh, We have... uh We've done the redone the conversation engine since uh, the last DF talk, and and done a little bit more with uh, insurrections against goblin occupiers. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So we have two whole things to talk about. Excellent. <laughs> all right. So combat mechanics. All combat mechanics. Good. All fun. All. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the the. Um, so yeah, okay, let's let's go. Um, let's just. Uh, for now, let's let's talk about exactly what that looks like for each turn. Like, what 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 is the process that we go through when we start fighting somebody? Yeah, the interesting thing is that it's not. It doesn't feel like turns anymore. It's really okay. It's because we had we had uh, so the traditional thing that you get uh, in games like this, more or less. Uh, there's a lot of different models, but you you're a lot of it comes down to trading shots in the end, right? And and Dwarf Fortress has has been like that, where you attack. They attack. There could be counterattacks, and we try to do some interesting things like dodging out of the way or charging, so that you would um, there'd be a sort of a kinetic element to the combat where where you'd be moving around a bit, but you were you were still uh, exchanging a, instantaneous attacks uh, back and forth. And it also depended on on sort of your your overall speed number and so on. So someone might be able to hit you twice while you're down, that kind of thing. So now what it's like um, to just kind of walk through a turn. So when is your turn? Someone's standing next to you, but they might be doing something. They could be in the in the middle of a process. And in terms of the the clicks of the 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 uh, the world, uh, where normally when you take a step in the game, it takes about nine uh, nine to ten ticks of the clock if you're walking and so an attack now um, it, it might be depending on what you think the tile size is and so on it's a little slow but the average attack now will take uh, six ticks but uh, so an attack is incoming for part of that and then the person is recovering from the attack for part of that so when you're standing next to say a goblin there could be a little red arrow kind of that uh, pops up we tried not to make it flash, uh, because the the flashing uh, bugs people, and so if I wanted to add more, even more flashing, so that, so it, the arrow kind of evolves at you, it's like and and little dots, uh, little dots turn into a little arrow pointing at you and that means that, that you know that there's an incoming attack and it's a red arrow for an attack and a green arrow just to see where the, the creatures might be moving and there could be um, lots of arrows in the same spot in which it kind of, in case it staggers the animations and it, t- and it takes longer to get through them all. So you know that the the the, the goblin is attacking you, and that means that you're going to want to change um, how you respond that turn because if you initiate an attack, uh, yours is not going to get there first, even though it's your quote turn, right? This is just sort of you're just in your head now acting and things could already be happening so you don't you don't get get to get to to uh 
control the action if the action is not yours to control. You can you can try and get to the point where you're the one initiating the move, uh, and in that case, you 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 uh, you can take more options. But for instance, if the, if the goblin is swinging a sword at you, and you have a good combat observer skill, um, you could you could you might see uh, sort of imminent attack. Uh, goblin is uh, is aiming a wild attack with his uh, iron short or a wild iron short sword slash at your right arm or something like that. So it gives you more and more information the higher your skill is there. And if you see an imminent attack like that, you're you you just want to probably parry that if you have a weapon of your own. And so you you do the regular attack menu from Shift A. If you want to be meticulous about it, you'd go through the Shift A attack menu and say. Okay, I'm going to choose a parry and bat the sword out of the way. In which case, that really improves your rolls uh, for a parry and decreases your dodge and block rolls if you had a shield. So you make you make uh, decisions about which rolls you want to amplify. Uh, and if you just wait, then you get the regular sort of passive rolls. Um, but that's taking a big chance with your life. Now, does that include, yeah. uh, for instance, um, if um, you know there's an incoming attack? Does that is it going to tell you what is the, um, uh, the highest chance to succeed in in dodging or, or parrying? It it never it never really um, gave you that information before, and it's not really a change now. It depends on a lot of things, uh, it's, but mainly your skill roll. But the thing, the kind of the the black box is the enemy's skill roll, and you you're not privy to that information. So it's okay. still um, it's still kind of a um, the 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 chances of the rolls are are usually um uh directly dependent on your skill. I guess it could remind you of your of what you're best at, which would probably be a nice thing to do since you can get that from your Z screen anyway. Mm-hmm. Um so I could tell you what you're best at. And how do you um, and and you you increase these skills by practice obviously. So yeah, if yeah. you're if you're doing a lot of parrying, you're just going to get you're going to probably stay as a as a parry. Primary. Yeah, yeah, and then then you run into the problem that still exists in the game that you can't parry punches, bites, kicks. Uh, so oh. so you you uh, you either want to also take up a shield or learn how to dodge. Okay. Uh, and uh, dodging, active dodging involves jumping to another square. You can't actively dodge and just say, "Oh, I want to dodge." Uh, the, the 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 passive dodging, if you get a really good roll, still does that. Mm-hmm. But but uh, so so you you will be kind of dancing around a lot if you've um, if you've got uh, incoming natural attacks all the time if you don't have a shield. Uh, I mean, at some point we're just going to do the thing where you can slice off somebody's arm if they're trying to use it on you or whatever. Yeah, but. if you're punch- getting punched with a with a hand, you know, you can yeah. carry it fairly effectively. Yeah, just put the sword in the way. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and there goes the hand. No no problem. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we'll get there eventually. It's just not. I mean, the the, the strange thing about this release is that this the, we're just trying to do the stuff that was foisted on us by the uh, the attack move speed split that kind of broke everything up into actions, and then the right. whole the whole thing got junked. So this is this is not nearly as much of the combat stuff as we eventually wanted to do for our official combat arc, but. Mm-hmm. It's looking like the combat arc, the initial stages of the combat arc. So there's there's kind of a um, it's it's sort of a messy to find a stopping point where we're satisfied that we're not totally destroying the uh, the flow of combat in the game. But at the same time, there's going to be all kinds of things you can see where there's sort of missed opportunities or potential for improvement that uh, come out of this new system that we just don't have time to grab right now. 
and they're the but i'm i'm really happy with how it's turned out it's it's um it you feel way more involved uh and cool. the the combat feels really alive with all these kind of things pointing at you and you're d- deciding exactly what you want to do it's it's um i think it, i think it's a neat system it's kind of a good uh a good compromise between sort of a real-time game like the the Elder Scrolls type games, where you're sitting there trying to time wax on people and so on, and and running around, and the sort of uh, strategy tactical combat of a of a SSI type game or a roguelike game, right? Where but but without the um, the sort of I move six tiles and then the other guy moves six tiles part of those games, uh, yeah. Or at least the SSI type games, the roguelike games are are more discreet, um, but this it should be interesting. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what other examples exist, exist like that because you get you know hundreds of seven day roguelikes produced now. So there's probably been some experiments with stuff like this. But um, uh, it's it's uh, it's interesting. I think it's I think it's worth a try. Even if it's rough now, I can definitely see that this is going to be a better system. Uh, so I like it. So you, you had mentioned earlier uh, the wild attack. What, what, what does that mean? So you've got uh, quite a, a, as usual, we're dumping options on you. Fortunately, the the uh, the menu isn't any deeper than it was before. You still you say strike, you say the part, and then you get the the old menu you had just had a list of I want to punch with my right hand or stab with my sword or slash with my sword, and now at the bottom of that screen you've got options um you you can decide whether or not you want to charge charging is is a, a little stranger now because it's a separate movement action uh that that gets incorporated into your attack and you can also decide if you want to do a um uh an adjective kind of on your on your strike uh right now I mean, this is again we're just kind of throwing some things into to um, get some mileage out of the system before we actually go and, and go all in on, on the combat system. So right now you have four choices. You don't have to take any of them. You can just do a regular attack, which uh, in general will take three steps in and three steps out. Or you can do a quick attack, which will be two steps in and two steps out, so like a jab or a little stab or something. But that decreases the velocity of your attack by 50%, so you wouldn't be able to uh, penetrate um, maybe even certain leather armors or whatever with your with your dagger or whatever. And so if you want to do a little little jab though, um and get it in quickly before the uh before the person lands an attack and you think that you can uh, get some mileage out of that, then uh you can do that. You can also do a heavy attack which uh, makes it four steps in and uh four steps out, but increases the velocity by fifty percent. Gotcha. Uh, and then there's the wild attack, which is just kind of a roll of the dice. You uh, you do two steps in and something like five steps out. So you're just kind of going in really fast. You get the velocity bonus, but you have a minus to hit. And you also become unbalanced and unsteady for some turns while you're recovering uh, so that people can hit you easier. But if you really have a if, – if it's a desperate thing, um, you can do that. And then the final option we added was a precise attack. It's – Five steps in, so you're really taking your time, and you get an increased roll, which kind of increases everything about the attack. And uh, most often, you just use that on someone who's unconscious or something. 
uh, you can just uh, end the fight when you have a clear shot. Or if you're being frustrated by the person's um, attacks and dodging, then uh, it, it might be an option you can use to have a chance to score a hit, even though you won't get as, n- as many attacks in. Uh, and then the final option in the menu is the um, the option to set it as a multiple attack, and then you can go in and add another action, like uh, moving away or climbing while you're doing this one attack. Or you can uh, choose another attack if you want to do something like stab stab two daggers at once. The penalties are massive, so it's, it's not something that you really want to do. It's more for, like, uh, stylishly stabbing somebody a bunch of times when they're unconscious or or for or when you're sneaking up behind them if you want to jab two daggers in their ribs or whatever or if uh, you're fighting like a room full of low level just yeah guys yeah yeah i mean if you're it, it is it is sort of the expression of your of your hero uh heroism or whatever if you come in and there's like a the the kobold on the left and the kobold on the right and you want to stick them both at the same time and you're you have uh, you're very good at what you do uh, then you can go ahead and take the massive kind of 75% cut to your roll or whatever, and still man- manage to hit them. Um, so it's uh, it, yeah, it's something. It's it's something that has limited utility, but uh, because this is not just like switching up your swords, like attack with the left, attack with the right, attack with the left. This is attacking with the left and the right at the same time. Right. So there's there's a sort of goofiness to it, which makes us really cut the rolls down. Uh, but it's something you could do. I mean, it's not, it's not, um, I mean, people get in fights about this and people tend to have very strong views about martial arts in general. And so we're just taking a slow, uh, approach to this. So post and, about it on uh, the forums, guys. Yeah. Well, they beat you to it already. The, it was a very hot future of the fortress topic for a while there. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. So, so it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it, yeah. So we're just, uh, we're going slow. I'm, I'm, I'm confident about, uh, the direction we're taking and I don't, I don't think we're ruining the game or anything. So, so what, uh, is, how does the, um, what, what skills have you incorporated into the, some of the new stuff you do? Uh, there's no, there's no, um, if I remember, there's no, there's no new ones, but the observer skill comes up a lot more. Uh, it used to, observer skill used to give you, which is the sort of, it's called situational awareness in the code, and it was just sort of for, for observing, um, uh, kind of paying attention to your surroundings, uh, and especially during a fight. And it used to just help you um, with being hit from the side, uh, and so you wouldn't get the hit you from the side minus or whatever. And it also helped you uh, judge when people were going to charge so you didn't get surprised by people's charges. But now it's used to give you um, four or five different little pieces of information about an attack, depending on how good the roll is. And that can really make a, um, a huge difference in your decision-making. So mm-hmm. that, that skill became a lot more important. Uh, the, I haven't broken up parrying or anything like that, so the, there's not like defense with a sword versus a, uh, offense with a sword. And I'm not going to do any kind of breakups of those skills until we get to the actual combat styles um, and techniques, in which case this is going to blossom into, you know, a hundred different things that you know or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, get get rather out of control, which is nice uh, for that part. So what would you say is the most important skill right now for combat? Um, 
knowing how to use your weapon is still the most important thing you can have. Right. Uh, but you will be flailing way wildly if you don't know what you do, uh, what you're what you're doing with observing. Fighting has always been an important skill. There's just the spider skill, and it kind of gives you bonuses to all of your roles. Um, and uh, also, you lets you pick up a weapon you don't know if you get in trouble and lose your weapon, and and pick up another weapon. If you have the fighting skill, you're you're given a small amount of skill with that weapon. Mm. Uh, comm- commensurate with your fighter skill, uh, divided by two or four or something like that, that um, that that lets you uh, still still um, continue on in the fight, uh, and uh, that'll matter more when you can lose your weapon in more in more ways. Um, so uh, then there's then there's <clears throat> dodging and armor using. Armor using actually a little less important now. It used to be that armor use as a skill would let you. Uh, move faster because um, it would it would count the weight less of the things that you're wearing. Uh, but now moving faster is not. It's still important to get good skill rolls, which it helps you with because it makes you less ungainly. But if you are just moving now, it'll it'll cut your movement speed by a lot. If you if you're wearing a bunch of heavy stuff and carrying heavy stuff that you don't know how to use. Uh, but your your attack speed isn't affected the same way it was before, where it would make you attack five times as slow and move five times as slow. Now you just move five times as slow and and just get the um, the minuses to your attack, but not not like move in slow motion or whatever, like uh, or whatever. It's, it was it was pretty silly the way it was before. Right. Uh, but but now people on the ground can attack quickly. They still get minuses, but they don't attack three times as slow as their. Uh, their uh, counterparts standing above them, so it 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 makes a lot more sense now, and people on the ground are more dangerous. Good. Yeah. Captain, do you want to throw anything in there, Captain? So how does this all uh, meld together and play? I mean, have you pulled off any amazing stunts or like? Oh, you can always do funny stuff. I mean, yeah, yeah, stuff. yeah. It's <laughs> it, yeah. The the um, the 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 use of the ground is still. I mean, you still dodge away. That that. That part that part um, feels about the same because Dwarf Fortress always had kind of a lot of movement in combat, but but the uh, the the meshing of the attacks is is fun. So you can you can uh, catch people's like if you target a grab attack on an incoming punch, and uh, so 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 I, I did a I did a thing in the arena where I increased my skills quite a bit, and then fought against somebody who didn't know what they were doing. And then using the observer skill, you see that they're coming in with a left-handed punch, and so I just waited until the punch was imminent mm-hmm. and shot out a catch with my left hand, which is just grabbing their hand with my hand, and then it it knows what that means now, so it interprets that as, as intercepting their attack and, and stops their attack. So I caught the hand with my hand, and I caught the other hand, put him into wrist locks, and broke his wrists. Nice. Uh, so you can do things like that now. <laughs> you can... You can you can intercept attacks that are coming in. If you if you if someone's swinging their sword at you, you can come in and grab their hand and intercept the attack again. Now, if you, uh, if, you if you've broken yeah. his wrist, is he going to stop fighting? Uh, this is this is <laughs> the new part about uh, uh, way early on when we were doing the bandit occupations of towns and so on. We added all this stuff from non-lethal combat about yielding and 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 all that, and that's. Uh, that that comes up even in the arena now. I think I might uh, I might end up changing that or make it so that you can have a setting on the arena about is this no quarter fighting or is this <laughs> non lethal? Because because right now in the arena, 
if you set 10 people on 10 people and then just say three or so on one side dies, uh, then that side will just all stop and just scream, I yield, I yield, and the other side will stop <laughs> fighting too and just stand over them with the swords, and that'll be the end of the <laughs> arena fight. Uh, and there are some other funny bugs happening now. Like if you take three people in the arena uh, that are all sort of on the independent side, so everyone's fighting everybody, and you put three people in the arena, then everyone runs away because they're like, I'm not fighting two guys. <laughs> 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 everyone runs away. So it's... it's uh, <laughs> uh, there, there are uh, there are there are issues and problems uh, from the uh, from the new uh, the new yielding code there. Um, but uh, I, I probably just um, just have an option in the arena to set set what what level of intensity you want, so that you could set up like a bar fight in the arena or something. Uh, you can also set up uh, mounts in the arena now because I have. Um, that's another another new thing about the the move combat speed split, uh, speed split stuff is uh, it counts your current momentum in the um, in the attack as long as your momentum uh, or your velocity vector whatever is pointing toward the guy and and the guy is either not moving or not moving faster away from you so that there's actual um, uh, motion toward the other person. And if a person's running at you, you also get the same bonus. Um, so, so as long as there's relative motion that's at least 90 degrees, um, so it could be perpendicular motion, but also uh, uh, or motion toward the person, then you get a bonus to your uh, your swing speed uh, that's in line with how fast you're moving. So, uh, and and it also takes into account the speed of anything you're riding. Now, you this is, doesn't mean that I've added adventure mode mounts yet. So there's probably some bug in the arena when you control a mounted uh, a mounted adventurer or whatever um but but it's 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 something where like I don't know how far I'm going to get with that but but it's it's fun to uh it was fun to control the mount I created a a horse with a with a person riding it and then another horse with a person riding it and then took control of one of the horses and just kind of rode around and tried to uh tried to get my get my person the best uh, gallop I could <laughs> to uh to dismount the uh, the other person or whatever, uh, that'd be a fun game by itself, I guess. It's like controlling the horse, uh, but um, it it it's uh, so that that'll all be that'll all be interesting uh, when we when we get that when we get that done, um, and it's probably going to be something that causes adventure mode mounts to happen <laughs> sooner rather than later. But I'm trying not to add anything else this release because it's getting uh, long in the tooth. Now, now, if you had a spear, let's say, uh, a longer weapon, can you could you hit that person running at you sooner than he could hit you? This is one of the main things we haven't done in terms of the combat arc is reach. I mean, reach is yeah. reach is a really, 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 really important concept that hasn't been explored in Dwarf Fortress yet. Yeah. And we were we were almost going to jump in and because there's so many things you want to do when you get this new combat stuff in, you want to add all sorts of things that make it more and more sort of realistic or whatever. And, uh, yeah, so we, we drew the line. We were, we were thinking about letting you sort of guard a square in a direction so you'd sort of set your weapon, like a spear, in a direction so that someone couldn't even enter that square. And it's going to be interesting when we, when we start controlling space so that all the battles don't end up with two people next to each other all the time. Because people should be farther away from each other, especially when they're fighting with weapons, yeah. uh, than... than uh, uh, than they are right now, where it's it's it, there's still no uh, it's like there's all this interesting thing about attacks interweaving with each other and so on, 
but there's still no kind of calm periods or testing periods and it and it's not it's not quite sure where that's going to where that's going to fit in I mean, reach is a part of that getting tired and like losing your gas tank is is a part yeah. of that also though there's a there's a big psychological aspect to that yeah about about seeing what the other person's going to do and almost kind of playing a poker with them to try and figure out you know do they always fall into a pattern where they jab left jab right or whatever and there's a lot of things that come into 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 fighting somebody that slows the pace down and we can only try to approximate those as best we can we haven't really attempted that yet but it's it's definitely for for people who still think that that that, that you know it's way too wild right now the way people just kind of go at each other like beasts um it's uh that that's something we acknowledge and and I, you know i just mentioned you know three three or so things that would definitely help and i'm sure there's more out there sure. and they're all all doable the psychological one's kind of the hardest because, I mean, are you supposed to kind of memorize the patterns or just have the game give you a bonus over time if you're a better fighter than they are or something like that? The longer you fight them, the more you kind of figure them out and get bonuses or something. There's, so there's an abstract way to do it. There are non-abstract ways to do it. Uh, but uh, We haven't really thought about what angle we're going to take. Right. So, so now if you're, uh, speaking of the psychological angle, if you're fighting, a, say you're fighting like three or four goblins or evil creatures, um... If you kill a couple of them, are they going to split up and run when they realize that you're better than they, or are they? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. People people are uh, endowed with slightly more sense, slight, slight amounts of sense now. And are there, <laughs> and, are, are there creatures that don't? Uh, are there creatures that don't? Um, this is one of the uh, easy to fix bugs that's also in, in the arena right now. When I was uh, playing an Ardvark, I, I was fighting another Ardvark, and the Ardvark yielded to me vocally. <laughs> so I, it's, it's, I'm sure it's something that I wrote down because there were a bunch of. I, 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 I'm pretty sure that's that was written down way back months ago, and it was just one of the things I was going to go handle during cleanup. But yeah, there are going to be things that don't give up. Um, yeah. Uh, the dead likely aren't going to yield and run away. Uh, <laughs> animals zombie yield, zombie yield. Yeah. <laughs> animals will probably be able to run away, but they aren't going to talk about it too much. Um, and then people will uh, people. It's, there is there's already a personality component to this, hmm. um, and uh, so so some people yield more easily than others, and. Then there's uh, there's also when people get enraged, there's that whole uh, sort of rage thing. That there's um, aside from the yield effects, there's also the uh, uh, if you become enraged uh, or or a dwarf or whatever becomes enraged or a badger, as often happens, becomes enraged. Then uh, it, it only lets them throw wild attacks. So it's not it's not a 100. It's it's a it's a less advantageous state than it was ah. previously. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it's, 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 uh, it's, uh, but you don't want to get hit by one of those either. So, um, right. it's still better to be more, more talented or just to stay away, stay away from somebody that's angry. Right. So if you scare someone away, for instance, will they go for help at this point? Uh, no, no, that's, that's, uh, well, okay. So, th- so that's, that's basically beyond the, uh, the, um, uh, the scope of what we've done. However, if you start a conflict with somebody, now this gets back to the other the other thing that we were working on, which is these these kind of improving the goblin insurrections and the conversation stuff. Sure. And when you get a, uh, a, a when you start a fight with say a goblin in a town now, that go, that gets saved as an event. So not only can you talk about that then with other people, 
But the goblin also knows that this happened. And if the goblin manages to get away from you and get offloaded, then everybody in town will... There's a timer on it, so it kind of propagates the information a little more slowly. But the it, it becomes a foregone conclusion then that the goblins are going to know about that. And so the goblins will know then that you just tried to start a fight with the goblin or that you killed a goblin if someone else saw it and then gets away. So you can eliminate witnesses um, and so on, uh, but... Uh, if someone does get away, then that that information will propagate. Now, that doesn't mean that the goblin is running for help to bring back to that location immediately, at least at this point. Um, the, we, there was still kind of a, a talk in, in the notes here, uh, the notes talking back at me that I wrote uh, months ago, uh, that, that there would be organized um, groups coming to hunt you down, which is something we, we're putting in the tracking information for. And right now, patrols can hunt you down. When you're walking around, you leave tracking information, and they can hit hit it and snoop up the trail and follow you during during wilderness travel. Ah. Um, but it doesn't happen in the context of the, the insurrection and the, and the town guards. And it may, but it may not. And so it's not something I want to promise at this point uh, when, we're, when we're kind of... Uh, chopping things out. We're kind of... But eventually, <laughs> that's the plan. Yeah, that is definitely the plan. Yeah. And um, so so it's... Uh, I guess uh, I guess we can uh, we can talk a little bit more about the conversation changes now, unless you guys got more questions about the, the fighting and so on. Uh, I have a minor kind of tangential question. Sure. So, are you, I know that you said you kind of started to add, like, underbrush and, like, twigs and stuff, right? Yeah. So... Um, is there eventually going to be, like in the near future, like throwing cow traps down or putting making little traps or tying like <laughs> a, tying wire across a room and tripping people or making people step on things like broken glass or whatever? Is that going to be? It yeah, seems are, like it seems like yeah. all that stuff could be kind of feasible at this point. It is. It is more feasible now. Uh, we have um, ever since we added the uh, the. Uh, the the trees having all of I I don't even remember what they're called in the raws now if they're called like plant growths or something like that <laughs> but the the trees have the trees have leaves and uh, I've used all the different kind of uh, uh, samaras or whatever the flying keys are called or whatever I don't remember anymore it's it's the kind of thing that I had some retention of the names and words when I was just copying down lists of plant parts and so on. But but uh, there are lots of new things in the game, flowers and, and leaves and so on, and fruit and that kind of thing. Uh, finally can have a fruit fight in Dwarf Fortress, uh, although I imagine the throne things are still a little more lethal than they should be. Killed first McDwarf, killed by Apple. Yes, oh, Apple's you know, definitely going to be a killer. Yeah, uh, and uh, so, so what, what that led to, though especially during fall when all of the leaves fall off the trees as it led to these, um, a couple of things that led to item clouds, which are kind of like a, they're stored like a breath attack or a, or a mist, but they're a cloud of small items. And then when they land on the ground, they turn into an item spatter. So, so we can start thinking about, um, it's an, well, at least, at least it's another way to think about a lot of small objects like broken glass or, or uh, or lots of little caltrops or uh, uh, coins for that matter, but also lots of other stuff. Um, and there's information lost as usual, uh, which isn't necessarily a bad thing when it comes to you know not wanting to track the uh, 
the specific information of every little object uh, when it comes down to that level. Uh, and, yeah, stuff like that becomes more feasible because the feet interact with spatter um, of all kinds, and so you could you could definitely see some of that stuff happening. Um, yeah, of course, I have no idea when, but it's it's all on the table now uh, with the mm-hmm. with the new the new storage system makes interesting things possible. I think you can already mod in the item cloud breath or whatever <laughs> if you want to breathe if you want to make a modded creature breathe uh, little daggers at people. You could add a little dagger <laughs> like the, like the carving knives or whatever from the uh, from the tool rods. You can make them breathe breathe forks at people or something. Uh, um, yeah, I want to give somebody a honey breath. <laughs> a bee breath, even better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can't breathe monsters yet, uh, but you could add a item that's analogous to a monster or something, like a little <laughs> stat, a little figurine of a bee that you breathe at people or something. There you go. And then add another reaction that makes them come to life. I don't know what people manage to. People manage to do a lot of things, um, but but creatures and interacting with and making creatures from scratch and stuff are still. Uh, if I remember, I mean, I'm kind of out of touch, but. Uh, that's still not feasible. Um, someone's probably found a way to do something, though. So, it seems like Dwarf Fortress is getting to the point where you can talk to NPCs and characters and interact with them and coerce them into punching goblins with you. How is that <laughs> going to work? Yeah, it's a party. It's a party where you uh, where you have goblin-beating time with your little friends and drunks. Yeah, everybody's <laughs> Yeah, they're not friendly, so we don't feel sorry for the goblins. But the uh, and we've got drunks back in little fake taverns again, so you can get the right kind of people for the job. Uh, so yeah, the so you can talk to people and and people. Uh, there's the overall situation of the town, which is something that you can become aware of by talking to them. And when you talk to them now. Uh, it, it works the same way, the same sort of clunky K move over the little cursor thing and press enter. But then you get a topic list, which is um, you can do the kind of things you did before where you greet people. And when you greet them now, it gives you, instead of popping you to a screen where it gives you um, a list of options and sort of the summary of what's been said, um, it gives you a a list of options but more like you're attacking somebody like like there's a list of options and you still see all of the surroundings and you select an option and then it gives you an action again analogous to moving or attacking and then when your action's time is run out uh the timer for it you will say what you wanted to say and it pops up in the announcement queue it's because and, you're attacking them psychologically. Yes, this is all psychological warfare now. And uh, they'll, they'll, they'll say something back. If, if they understand the context of the conversation that they're in, and so they, on their turn, if they don't have something more important to do, like running off and fighting or something, um, then they will look at the conversations they're in and decide what to say to who and what to talk about, and then they'll initiate an action of their own, and then it'll come back to the... Um, to the announcement log. Now, to make this not totally annoying, when you talk to somebody, you go into kind of a waiting mode so that you anticipate that you're going to be replied to, and then it just waits for the reply to come in. So uh, you don't have to, like, press period a bunch of times and wait for the guy to say something. Yeah, especially um, he's very slow-witted. Yes, 
yes, or if he's he's. But it, it runs it runs a timer. It runs a timer carefully though. So if the guy's off doing something else, it won't wait forever and lock up the game. At least hopefully, uh, it works right. And so they'll they'll um, they'll reply to you, and then that creates the context for the conversation. It's kind of um, operates in pairs for the most part, where you say something and then a reply is expected, and then the conversation goes back to being neutral again, where no one's in the driver's seat, and then the next person to talk kind of creates another pair of things that's said, um, and that can change the context of the conversation. And when someone says something, it gives it assigns numbers so that it'll put a little one next to what they said, and then the, the one will appear on them uh, so that you can see who said what and no kind of space. So if you're in a crowded room of people and someone shouts something, it'll pop a one on them and you can see what they said. Uh, or that who <clears throat> who said it, uh, and uh, and kind of keep control of the the of who's saying what in the conversation that way. Also, when you talk to people, you can look back at the log of what's been said, and it shows you automatically the last several things that have been said, so that you don't uh, get lost. And so you can bring the conversation once you so you can ask people what's going on now, and they'll tell you about an occupation or if an army is coming or, or other things that have happened like. They heard there was a fist fight where a bunch of goblins got beat up or whatever, uh, and they could and and so they tell you about these things and then you when you're in the context of talking about the insurrection, that's when you can drop a line about well hey let's go do something about this and right now the the bar to entry just to keep the game going the bar to entry is pretty low <laughs> in terms of hey let's go do something about this, um, and and then uh, then you you can get a companion and the companion. Um, like before, they just travel around with you and all that kind of uh, thing. But now it's an agreement is formed. Uh, when uh, There's some understanding that underlies every single companionship in the game now uh, about why they're with you and kind of how long they're going to be with you. With, and, and then they can use that information to decide whether or not you're actually furthering this common goal. You know, if you just want to wander off out of town with someone who's supposed to be helping you with the insurrection, that companionship's not going to last very long. And the person will probably just leave when you sleep or whatever. Um, and that's probably all going to be in before the release. Uh, I mean, a lot of that is already in, but the uh, I haven't made the companions leave yet. And um, But that's very likely to go in so that you can't abuse your privileges. Um, but there's also standard companionships. Uh, the bar is good for things like that. These fake bars, like I said, I, I just need to aggre aggregate where where to find these people. So I put in these fake taverns. This isn't the tavern release by any stretch of the imagination, but there are drunks and mercenary type adventure people and all the scouts and monster hunter type people from World Gen all hang out in these fake taverns now, just sitting there. And so you can go and uh, and talk to them. And um, and so you can you can have people travel with you in the standard lead me to glory and death type way, in which case they don't have very high standard uh, for continuing the partnership. Uh, I mean, I guess I could make them get bored if you don't do anything for a week or something and then split. But uh, right, come with me adventuring in the hats district. Yeah, hats together. <laughs> well, as long as that's the agreement that it's like a day of shopping. I mean, that's yeah. that's the exact type of thing that we want the system to support, though. Is like let's go on a shopping trip together, and then people will be like, all right, let's go. I need to <laughs> identify if this hat is actually made out of troll skin. <laughs> yeah. You, little girl, how are you at identifying troll skin? Oh, I'm a person. <laughs> It'll be great. It'll be great. And you can have a, then you can split up the spoils at the end. It's like, it's like divide the plunder. I'm interested and then, in the 
the having a hideout, a little fort of operations, a little a little base. That's little right. Campgrounds. Can can you convince right now, like little kids and people who are inappropriate for the task to come with you? Uh, Just a kid. <laughs> that the they didn't come with you before. And now you can get more people to come with you on insurrections than before. And I know for a fact, written in the notes right now is maybe kids shouldn't come with you to go kill the goblins. <laughs> <laughs> so it was it was a known problem and uh, still is, but it will be, it will be fixed before uh, before it's over with, so you don't have the children's crusade or whatever. It never ends well. <laughs> That's funny. But yeah, I mean, we're hoping that that so yeah, and then and, and Captain mentioned the hideouts and and so on. When we when we get to that part of the game where you're where you're able to set aside the site for yourself and can create your own little entity and so on, then uh, then people will have they'll all have a reason for being there and they'll all have a reason to, you know, for how how long they think they're planning to stay and whether or not they come with you to do things or whether or not they're just hanging out there to uh, rearrange the furniture or whatever. Um, it's, it should all fit under the system. The system's very broad now about what a what an agreement can be about. It's just kind of sitting there as a nice abstract um, entity for the game to look at. You know, something that was missing before. The uh, when people would join you, they would just uh, they became uh, a variable relationship variable in them was set that you are their leader, <laughs> and it's like uh, they lost all of their agency at that point and. Uh, didn't understand anything about where what was going on or why they were with you, and uh, that's all changed now. So, can you now go to Goblin and talk to talk to them, like potentially bad things, and have them join you? Uh, they don't. They don't have a reason to join you right now. So they they they're all like the goblins in the town are all on the job, right? They're all occupying the town, uh, and. You can talk to them though. They, I mean, it's a standard thing right now in the game where uh, uh, this is from the the older code uh, from before would just make it so if someone is in a, a civilization that disagrees with you, uh, but they're not outright trying to kill you, then they just say don't talk to me. So that's that's how it works with the goblins right now. They just tell you not to talk to them, uh, and I, that may or may not be changed depending on how um, how this whole. Um, um, like posses of people hunting you down and all that kind of stuff. Uh, what what we end up uh, skipping and what we end up uh, putting in for this time uh, may make the goblins more interesting. Uh, but when you go to the the goblin sites themselves, they don't particularly care right now. Uh, if I remember, um, there's all there's all these kind of nebulous gray areas that need to be worked out since goblins have home sites now and aren't always at war with you. Because you used to only meet them through kind of ambushes or by going and killing everyone that lived in their in their little little homes and so on, instead of just kind of like sneaking around and getting caught in their uh, troll shearing pit, um, it's it's all just sort of this uh, this gray area now that 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 just needs to have a kind of yes or no um, decision made about it. It's like were we 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 were planning to put in you know more conversation options or something. A lot of times now we're just going to be like, no, it turns into a violent situation immediately or whatever, um, and uh, that's 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 just something that that we'll have to uh, go through as we as we do our final checklist of of uh, 
of issues that need to be worked out. It's still quite a long list of issues that need to be worked out. I mean, I had a eventually, yeah. hmm? Because eventually, you could use bribery in, in, within that context, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you should you should be able. I mean, eventually, you should be able to like grab someone's kid and bring it to the goblins and be like, "Hey, I'm a freelance snatcher or something, <laughs> just something horrible like that," or bring them uh, bring them the heads of elves or something like that. You know, just just uh, I mean, that's not that's not. Uh, you shouldn't have to be good all the time. That's uh, that's one of the things about about having freedom of choice in a video game, but. Uh, it, it's uh, so the, so the goblins shouldn't kill you immediately. Although there's, I mean, if they don't have a reason not to kill you, then you know, free stuff for them. So <laughs> so it's not uh, it's not smart to go to a goblin place. It shouldn't ever be a really good decision unless you have a really really good reason to go there. Um. But uh, yeah yeah I'm not yeah I'm not quite sure I was going to work out. I mean the main thing that's missing actually I mean in all of this is the uh, the sort of crime and punishment type of uh, stuff because you can't get captured by the goblins, right? It's not, it's not all about the, like the crime and punishment arc is not all about like strictly you stealing from the market stall and then being dragged off to some type of dungeon and then having your hand chopped off and then being released or something. It's about being able to lose control of your character uh, and to, to be imprisoned or to be dragged somewhere and that's just not in the game right now. So it's really hard to do an interaction with the goblins that isn't just either friendly banter or you getting just chopped to pieces on the spot. Uh, so so there's 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 a there's a uh, you know a, a good reason why that that thief role is in there, and it's it's a pretty expansive thing. Uh, and uh, part of the hero role is going to be exploring you being able to sort of interrogate and capture people and so on. We didn't get to that part. It was on the table for this time, but we moved toward the, uh, more toward the active world, birth, death, succession, army stuff um, instead. And uh, so we'll, we'll just have to get back to that stuff later. I like the idea of, like, you're in the sewers and you <laughs> you don't notice a pile of broken glass and you accidentally step on it. It makes a bunch of noise and you hurt your foot. It just causes a whole bunch of problems. Well, stepping stepping on a broken glass in the sewer would cause all kinds of problems. Yes. Oh yes. Or or, or even stepping on like bones hidden under trash. You know, yeah. the noise that alerts the the giant frog in the room next door to you. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we just don't want any any punctures and introducing of small microbes into your foot and stuff like that. Exactly. I mean, is that is that here now? That's not here now, right? The broken glass isn't here, but inf- infected wounds are here. Okay, all right. And the level of grime and filth on your body leading to a higher rate of infection is already here, I believe. Oh, wow. Okay. That's why using soap is a good thing when you wash yourself because it reduces the the grime level down to a much lower number than regular washing. But I don't even remember if the dwarves... Do the dwarves seek out soap properly and use it to wash? It's one of those sort of fringe industries that doesn't get a lot of testing. But um, yeah. but it it does... If they use soap when they're washing... Maybe the surgeons use it. I really don't remember anymore. Uh, but it reduces the grime level down, and, and the wound is much less likely to get effect, infected when the grime level is zero or one than when it's like three or four or five. And you can't, you can't see the grime level on a dwarf. It's one of the invisible variables. I mean, there's of course, there's also just being like completely mud and blood <laughs> spattered or whatever that you can see. That's a really high level of grime. But the, uh, 
the the smaller grime level of just not having cleaned cleaned yourself um, also causes an increased rate of infection in the game. Uh, <laughs> and do we have medicine for infection to parlay infection or no? No, infections are bad in the game. Yeah. And they kill you. They're very scary right now. Yeah, it's kind of like getting all gangrenous on the the Civil War battlefield or whatever. It's not not a good. Uh, we don't have any uh, penicillin right now. Yeah, I don't remember if the the surgeons hack those wounds off or if an infection just means you're dead. I don't I don't recall. Uh, <laughs> I know they try and excise rotten tissue to decrease the rate of infection. And, um, well, yeah, so that's that's one of the happy parts of the game. No kidding. Now, does that happen to your adventure as well? Yes, and it's one of the more annoying things about adventure mode. It's it's why the, why the adventure mode medical stuff is always sitting there waiting to be added, uh, <laughs> even if it hasn't made it in yet. It's like, uh, it, it yeah, your, your adventurer can have their wounds infected, and then you just kind of are... Uh, Deciding what to do with your final moments in the game or whatever. Your final moments can last a while, but you can uh, you have to make make peace. What if happens if you retire in a village after you get infected? Uh, I don't think yeah I don't think there's a check for it, and I think you uh, you know score you just happen to cure yourself or something, <laughs> and, <laughs> and then you can yeah, you just you just retire. Now I'm I'm not 100 percent sure. For all I know, it just saves it, and then it's like oh you're still infected or whatever. I I haven't tried it, so it's it's hard to say because it it applies some healing. But it doesn't get rid of your scars, if I remember. So it's 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 so it keeps some wound information because all the scars are just wounds that have a flag on them that says it's a scar. Yeah. So it's it's uh it it may or may not. I, I yeah. It's, it's it's one of those things that um it just depends on what I put when I put the replace person in town function or whatever. <laughs> and uh, I yeah I really don't remember. Um, you know, ideally it would carry through all the effects, but I know it doesn't do that because it doesn't kill a lot of people that are that are uh, waiting to die. Um, yeah. So we're still not at a place yet where we can uh, um, take over historical figures, right? After adventure mode. Um, that yeah, that's that's correct. We're not at a place where we can do that. Um, in uh, I mean, there's nothing stopping it, right? I mean, because when you unretire an adventurer, you're just taking control of a historical figure. Uh, so there's there's nothing um, uh, technical about stopping it. There are just conceptual problems about like what happens when you take over the king of this or the king of that. That it, it's just silly, I guess, because because they don't recognize your authority or anything. <laughs> so it's just kind of goofy that you can do that. But um, yeah, it's one of those things where where I, I mean I'm, I'm sure we've talked about this in the past where where it's like uh, there there's just. Um, uh, there's paying some lip service to that fact. There's doing some kind of world gen parameter where you can where you can set it that it can't be done so that you don't feel tempted to sort of spoil your game by making all the bad things in the world jump off cliffs and then go to play or whatever. Yeah. Uh, it, it, there's there's um, there's uh, so there, there's some small concerns and missing swaths of content, but it's it's not it's not uh, there aren't huge barriers to doing that. I suppose an easy way out would could be to suddenly have your, um, if you're the king, have your advisors declare that you are possessed and <laughs> that you no longer are acting like the king and you are now dethroned. And so then you could leave and people would recognize you as the former king of such and such. Now, uh, now it's insane. I guess it would be one of those things where there's also, an, even if you're 
chose to take control of a peasant, there'd also have to be a thing where it's like, and your family doesn't recognize you, and they think of you as a stranger <laughs> now or something because you've become yeah. possessed, because <laughs> you would they would you would talk to them like strangers or whatever, or not strangers because the people in your starting town at least uh, know your name and know who you are, and they they greet you a little differently already, but but they wouldn't recognize you as a family member, and that's <laughs> because the traditional adventurers don't have family members, so I just don't have didn't have a reason to put that in. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so it's, it, you see, it just—I mean—it it stacks up and it becomes a non-priority item until we add something, you know, yeah. <laughs> something that, yeah. that that makes it makes it uh, makes it matter. Because why? What what is the point of taking over a historical figure if all of the historical things about it don't matter yet? Yeah, yeah, and and the interesting thing too, I I, I think, or I was thinking about earlier today, would be uh, to be able to have a you know a lineage, a succession of adventures, you know. You, you, know, you get married, you have you have a child, and then you take over his life, and maybe yeah. you have some some yeah. uh, training that you can give your child, and then he you know gets some bonuses or something. Yeah, that's 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 uh, that's uh, those the 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 elements that like that. I think there's four or so elements that we decided um, broadly make that up, and that's all in the uh, the the development notes for uh, the the pre version one stuff. So that's all going to go in sometime. Um, you just have to get through the uh, the various hurdles of um, of getting a getting a spouse and doing the the time forward motion and and so, yeah. stuff like that. That because yeah. there's, and and we've gotten quite a bit further with that now. I mean, your your retired adventurers can already get married now uh, oh, because good. they'd go off and and just act like regular people. And all retired adventurers are single. So <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, I mean, it's probably one of these times where people are going to want to put in. Um, options for how they act when they retire or whatever. It's like don't, yeah. just, don't just you know run over to the goblins and get married or whatever. <laughs> get married to a goblin chick. Yeah. It's like don't do that. I've always um, goblin women. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's 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 unclear like like how much control there's going to be or what's going to happen. Right now, it's all just wing it. It's just like you become a historical figure. You can go move to a dwarf fortress and uh, and. Um, and and if you're a dwarven adventurer, you'll move to a dwarf fortress, and uh, next time one is played, uh, and become a citizen of your fortress. And then when you retire the fortress, you'd be able to unretire your adventurer from your retired fortress and leave. Hmm. And then when they when someone unretires the fortress, then that guy will be gone off wherever he's coming, and then he'll migrate back. Now, does that he do, does he keep all the skills that he might have had during play at, on dwarf fortress or, or during? Yeah. Yeah, he keeps everything. Uh, the um, uh, he'll probably just drop a sack. Of, I don't remember how it works. If he just drops all of his items or whatever, because dwarven citizens don't carry backpacks filled with meat or whatever the, the, uh, the right. goblin heads and whatever weird things people have put in their backpacks uh, in adventure mode. But but they, they the skills are the same. I mean, the names the same. The wound the the scars are the same. The uh, uh, everything that that's tracked on a unit is tracked. Uh, everything that gets saved is saved. There's just no difference between right. between adventurers and dwarves. So right now it would be a good stra- or an interesting strategy at least, maybe not good, but to, uh, <laughs> to if you wanted to increase your adventurer's skills to just straight out take him to a dwarf fortress, retire him, play dwarf fortress for a while, build him, you know, have him train, and then um, and then take yeah. take him back over. Yeah, throw the adventurer in the danger room, and you could pretend that he was—that was his like time with the monk, learning the ways of dodging spears or whatever—and then exactly. unretire him and uh, 
And uh, yeah, yeah, that, that 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 all works. It'll be interesting to see what people come up with and what absolutely bizarre and stupid situations come out of this. Yeah. Uh, okay. So so for this this release, what we want to see uh, on the comment section about this um, about this podcast is we want to hear if anyone has done this strategy, has taken an adventurer, retired him to a dwarf fortress, trained him, and then used him for regular adventuring. So someone leave us a comment and tell us if you've done this, or if you haven't, give it a try and let us know how it goes. Um, I don't know if that'd be yeah. more effective than just, like, holding down the throw rock button. <laughs> I don't know. Well, it's, it's more interesting, I think. It's slightly, slightly more entertaining, hopefully, yeah. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because it'd be cool at some point to, to get um, Adventure Mode to a place where you can kind of play a metagame with your adventurer for a while. Like, you just tell him, go, go, go visit the monks and train with them for, you, you know... An 80s rock montage. Exactly, an 80s rock montage. Yeah. I like that. You just... And then you just... You play some of your, your little... Uh, your little guitar there, Tarn, and do a, a montage where you, you see, like, little... Um, ASCII visuals of him training in, in stop motion, you know. Oh, I'm no good at electric guitar. I can never get the... I never played it long enough to get the buzzing to stop because it's way more <laughs> sensitive. Yeah. So I was like... Yeah, it wasn't for me. It wasn't for me. i got to get better at my muting. Use that raw power. Talk. This is Three Toe, and we will begin answering your questions. So, first question comes from Ardor, and he asks, "What things would you like to do, but you feel computers are too, currently too slow to do?" Well, I don't have any particular features that that I I cut because they were they were I I just said you know or we were looking at them and like CPU is not powerful enough to handle this feature, but it's about numbers all the way through. Like, we only have two liquids. Uh, we'd love to have more liquids. Uh, it's not that we feel computers are too slow, strictly speaking, to handle it, but it would be hard to add more. It's hard to add um, all sorts of things. Um, yeah, say, so like, making the uh, making the map sizes bigger. Yeah. Be, that's that's not possible right now, so the computers are faster. That'd be yeah. like... Yeah. yeah, more memory. Like, going, going 64 bits, a, a, a big deal. Um, uh, yeah, having a thousand dwarves in your fortress. I mean, we'd love to do that. And things things we'd like to do. Yeah, two thousand dwarves, ten thousand dwarves. <laughs> I guess the, the next question comes from Wisebill. They ask, would it be possible to completely mod all supernatural features out of the game? So the original Armok, uh, we had this um, this system. We, of course, we didn't actually finish anything in the original Armok. But the the system was was going to be kind of have the atmosphere, uh, and I think it was called the plot atmosphere mood system, something like that. We were we were thinking about how uh, how widely the uh, world generation could kind of cast its gaze, and one of the ideas there was to just completely get rid of supernatural features, and uh, so it's it's going to be possible. I mean, it's possible now to get rid of quite a bit of stuff. There might be a few things that you can't shut off. In the uh, parameters, yeah, but. it's kind of like the, how the uh, how the ages were named, even still the way it is now, where it, it, it transfers into the age of fairy tales and stuff like that, was also part of that 
idea of magic going away toward the end of it. That was kind of always one of our ideas. Yeah, and yeah, and, and just the passion for ancient history, right? It's like we love to just have Hittites fighting each other and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so the next question comes from Vincent. He asks, uh, the Dwarf Force's con- consolidated development page says that it's outdated. When was this done, and in what way is it outdated? Are the arcs still current, and is the new is the new page being kept up to date? Um, so uh, I, I guess it, it was a long time ago, several years ago now, that the consolidated development page was created, and we moved over from the core rec bloat uh, arc system uh, over to just having uh, a more kind of partial recent development. Uh, type of page um it's not it's it's outdated in the sense that i mean we have a bug tracker now the wrecks of the old development page were um, a lot of those were just bugs it's it's not so it's not uh it's not like we've changed our direction at all it's just that that particular system was becoming cumbersome and unwieldy and was annoying to like every little thing having to keep track of it and so on. Uh, so all of the arcs, as, as far as I remember them, it's all still the idea of what we want to do. Um, so there's there's really uh, there's really nothing uh, we've dropped uh, as far as I remember. And I, I don't keep the new I, the new page up to up to date on a kind of daily or weekly basis or anything like that. It mostly gets updated on releases, so that means it can go for a year at a time without being changed. But it 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 does get updated at releases. Yeah, it's just different ways of organizing it. I think is it's not really out of date or anything. It's like all that stuff is still there. Uh, I mean, pretty much the um, the it's. I mean, part of it's just a motivational thing, changing changing the the way we uh, we organize the notes. Just keeps things fresh and keeps us moving forward. Okay, so Vince has another question. Will the town growth be simulated to the point of individuals deciding to make specific houses or open up specific shops? Um, Probably, I mean, not on a kind of day-by-day basis, every single individual. We already had to go to the sort of civilization populations instead of historical figures just to get the population numbers up to a point that that we could could do um, things like the army arc later on. But... Uh, at the at the same time, the growth of the town would be um, it is going to be to be simulated. New shops are going to open up. There are specific people in specific houses. Every single historical figure has their situation known. So those those sorts of things will uh, will have to be updated on a on an individual basis. So there's going to be. A lot of it, especially for the people that you kind of come to care about, and anyone you talk to becomes a historical figure in adventure mode. So, it, so it does it does have a lot of um, updating to do, and that'll have to be handled. Okay, Vince's last question is: Do you have any time frame for working on full simulation of the Dwarf Fortress world economy? Would this be difficult to implement fully due to memory constraints? Um, no, well, we never have a time frame for anything. There's just uh, dependencies, like uh, if, we, if when, when we get to the uh, Dwarf Fortress inns and taverns, we'll want to have an economy up for that probably, or some kind of um, payment system or something, something to make the the uh, tavern make sense. And uh, so, the, so in in that sense, since we wanted to kind of, I mean, we're not sure exactly when we're going to work on that, but 
but th- those are kind of on a similar time frame in any case. Um, and when, when you ask, um, would it be difficult to fully implement due to memory constraints? Well, the, the idea of full implementation of anything uh, that that's sort of reality-based, you can use up as much memory as you want, and uh, we're just going to have to set aside as much memory as we can uh, to the to the economy and get as far as we can within those constraints, and it's really not clear exactly what that's going to mean. Okay, the next question is from James. He asks, do you have any future plans for liquid pressure? Will more powerful pumps make ever make pump stacks obsolete, and will volcanoes ever erupt? Um don't have specific plans for liquid pressure. I mean, we're always open to um, people's ideas about that. Uh, we're not we're sort of engineering or mechanically minded people. So uh, as much as anything, we rely on the community to come up with ideas that kind of fit within our sort of 1400s plus dwarfiness uh, time frame. And uh, if, you know, if there's if there's ways besides the Archimedean screw or whatever that that uh, people have for pump ideas, and we can kind of think of how to make that work uh, CPU wise with the with the liquid model. I mean, we're all for whatever um, whatever is um, feasible there. Uh, for a volcano, I mean, it would be sad to have volcanoes and not to have them erupt. <laughs> yes, this would be very sad. <laughs> so the next question comes from Tom. He says, "Will the player in adventure mode ever get a spouse?" There, there are dev notes for that. It's definitely going to go in at some point. We've threatened various things like poetry generators and so on. Um, and even as it stands now, I think if you if you take uh, your uh, adventure and retire them in one of the empty fortresses, uh, that's in the currently released version. Or if you take a adventure and take them to an actual um, NPC or AI fortress in the new version and retire them, then they can become a uh, not just a, a migrant to your fortress and get married there, but they could also, in the new version, get married uh, just hanging out at their, uh, wherever they retire, even if they're a human. Uh, so the it already happens, in other words, uh, in, in, uh, even in the currently released version, maybe if you get your migrations just right. But um, as for actually doing it yourself, uh, going out there and uh, going through actual conversations, meeting people, finding someone that having would, someone assigned you know. to you, and <laughs> yeah, so you could you could be arranged. It's true. Uh, there's any number of ways this could happen. And then uh, the the development notes have all the thing about you know children possibly or playing playable errors, all that kind of thing, um, houses, all that kind of stuff. It's all in there. Uh, no timelines, as usual. Okay, the next question comes from Mike. He says, are the, are the hauling updates complete? I was wondering if there are any plans to address the minor annoyances that still exist. Uh, so nothing's ever complete. Um, there was the, the number one voted uh, suggestion had to do with that stuff, and we did a lot of things. We did um, the mine carts in particular, but also wheelbarrows and all sorts of other little things. Uh, but if there are minor annoyances, those are, of course, on the table, uh, especially when we roll around to um, the post-release 
uh, cleanup period where we always do old bugs, new bugs, little features, not so little features that kind of get out of control. Um, so it, it'll depend on uh, what we notice and kind of what community feeling is and so on. Um, and I know that one of the big things we didn't address from the um, the voting was the uh, uh, restacking, which is still a big problem. Uh, and uh, yeah, anything that anything that comes up, uh, we have a bunch of notes, and um, of course, people will continue to talk about things. Okay, the next question is from a scholar. Yes, or conveyor belt buildings anywhere in the plans? I don't specifically recall. Uh, we already have those minecart rollers, so that's practically um, practically a conveyor belt already. And uh, just anything that anything that's feasible, we we have uh, a list of a list of uh, machines and devices and parts of devices that people have come up with uh, that they think fits within the time frame uh that was a um, there's a big arc for that actually working on that stuff so if if people come up with different um feasible uh ideas for conveyor belts we don't have anything against it i mean it's not going to be like uh modern or anything but but whatever whatever fits we're we're willing to put it in it's it's dwarfy enough okay the next question comes from connor is there a set period where the dwarfette is pregnant how random is it how similar is the baby to the parents? If the two master blacksmiths have a child, will it be born a master blacksmith? Or will the parents teach it a trade as it grows up? What if the baby just wants to be a dancer? <laughs> so right now, I think the, the pregnancy period is kind of goofy. I think it's it's always uh, three... I could be wrong about the exact numbers, but it's always three seasons for a uh, civilized critter and less for an animal, which is, of course, completely goofy. Uh, it's not randomized at all, and that's just got to get put in the raws. Just one number goes to the raws. Everything's better for everybody, but it just hasn't happened yet for whatever reason. Uh, the the baby does have – there's a little fake kind of genome thing that, that makes the baby similar to the parents just uh, physically um, in terms of their appearance, uh, but there's no kind of skill proclivities or talents or anything passed down aside from however much attributes uh, capture that. There are some attribute numbers that I, if I remember correctly, are, are have a genetic link to them, although I don't I don't 100% remember that. Uh, so until we get more stuff like that that in, until we do anything with child rearing or education or anything, the, the the child is free to be a dancer and has no sort of blacksmithiness to it, um, and that that'll change over time probably, but we haven't really planned out a course for that. Okay, the next question comes from Marcus, and they ask, what is your opinion on stills requiring water to produce certain types of booze? I think it's fair. I think I think, um, I think water... I think it would make it about 20 times as hard to start a fortress. But... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you'd always have to start next to a river or have to dig down to the water. But, but if we set up things like rain barrels, I guess was one of the ideas floating around, something like that. Uh, just, But it's... it's uh, I think the booze making process is one of the easier ones, maybe. Um, and uh, so it's—I mean, it's not—it's not a not the end of the world. And I think uh, uh, I think it's probably a good idea in the end. Okay, the next question comes from Mike. They ask, "I would like to ask about FPS death. It would be way more fun to start in larger areas with constant frame rate." 
even with the whole mountain ranges where you could dig from one tunnel from one into another like true moria is this even possible uh no <laughs> not uh, not even in a 64 bit system i don't think uh uh you'd need to crank the cpu way up for that to be feasible um there are some things we've discussed in that context about being able to run even a 16 by 16 fort, which would be slow, which would be to to cut out some of the lower areas if you choose and just have a shallow fortress, in which case you'd be able to run it um, without without much difficulty. But going beyond a world map square and selecting several world map squares and having something like a 64 by 64 fortress or something like that from the embark screen, that's that is just completely um, unfeasible. Now. At the same time, uh, there are a couple things that kind of mitigate this. Uh, when we get to hill dwarves and deep dwarves in particular for this, you'll have the feeling that your fortress, and in actuality, through the deep dwarves, your fortress, uh, its direct influence will be spreading through the mountain, and that, that kind of gives you a Moria feeling. There's also the uh, ability to retire fortresses and leaving them alive, so you can kind of build up one mountain range over several games, and your other fortress will still be alive, and so you can you can you'll be able to trade with them and otherwise uh, connect with them and get this feeling that you do have a mountain spanning civilization. But keeping the whole thing in memory and running is just not feasible at all. Okay, the next question comes from David, and they ask if you assign multiple of the same type of room to a single dwarf, what determines which room they will pick at a given time? That one was, if I remember, I, I looked this up. I kind of, uh, when I saw this question, I sort of looked through the code because I, I, you know, the, when it comes to real particulars like this, it's impossible to remember everything. And it seemed like it was the value. It was, a, it was this weird sort of. I, I don't remember how old it. I mean, it's it's probably before the first release. They look at the value of the mastering piece of furniture. So if if, if it's like a bed or a table that they just look at that they don't look at the total value of the room so it it, it correlates somewhat with how happy the room is going to make them but it's not it's not perfect and it's kind of strange um it's it's one of those things that when i saw that i was like oh i make a little note but of course the little notes get buried sometimes and so on so i have no idea what the time frame is on making that all work together with how the system actually runs but that's that's what i think i saw when i looked at the code that's yeah, very ancient code <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Okay, David's other question is, with the new forest going into the next version, will elf adventurers be able to use their druid skills to shape trees? <laughs> well, it's in the story, but we didn't we didn't add anything uh, to do with that yet. It, it's one of the things we'd like to add for elves in the future to differentiate them a bit from people, uh, but we just haven't done anything with that kind of magic at all yet. Okay, the next question is from Jeffrey. He asks, will there be things like holidays or celebrations? Would an adventurer be able to participate in dances or other festivals? Will, tr will traditions change over the years, and could there be people who act as avatars for the gods and religions? Could people become known as prophets? Yeah, so so we have the, if you look at the, the power goals, which are over on the old consolidated development page, uh, all of those, as, as strange as those <laughs> some of those are, uh, there are lots of festivals, and and there's one about called the Prophet of Ar, something about prophets and and people talking to their to their gods and different different festivals and holy yeah, days. For instance, the uh, the Plump Helmet Festival, which is <laughs> has made its way into my sto Ask Your Word stories lately. <laughs> yeah, so it would be great to have to have um, 
the 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 dwarves chill out like like right now they just have parties it's like oh we're throwing a party oh we're throwing a party oh we're throwing a party if the parties had something to do with something I mean, they do weddings i guess but they don't they don't do anything else it'd be cool to have different festivals it'd be cool for them to commemorate the slaying of the dragon that came to your fort and create a whole new festival for it all kinds of stuff is is kind of in the um the the uh the activities we created that, that i think are mostly just used now for uh training like military training demonstrations like they'll do a dodging demonstration or whatever to teach the military how to dodge uh that code is set up and it was set up specifically with things like festivals and dancing and parties in mind just any anything that involves a choreographed kind of activity with a bunch of uh a bunch of critters is a fair game there, and hopefully we'll make it uh, in over time. Okay, the next question comes from Zooey Glass, and asks, how much do you struggle to ensure that the dwarves are not simply little humans and have suitably dwarven characteristics in the makeup of their society and so on? Do you have lore written down or a scheme for dwarfiness? Uh, We don't uh, have too much written down along those lines i mean we we mostly just run with what the what the stories say as we write them uh we we do want to make the non-human races non-human but at the same time the dwarves are the hardest one there because when you when you play them we don't want it to be like if you download the game for the first time having something completely weird that you don't identify with at all uh would be would be um I think uh, not not the way we want to go. So dwarves, I think, are going to be stuck being slightly human uh, for that reason. Uh, and at, at the same time, the human societies are going to diversify a great deal. Yeah, I think I think also that uh, the player ha- it has a lot to do with how the dwarves end up, and and uh, so it's your fault, in other words. <laughs> yeah, so if you've got your vampire tower where you feed people, the dwarves rather, you feed your dwarves vampire blood and send them out to uh, patrol your perimeter, I mean, that's that's not quite what uh, what uh, the uh, the traditional uh, uh, folk tales had in mind. <laughs> yes. Yes, you're the ones that are inhuman. <laughs> so the next question comes from Maddie, and they ask, regarding succession, will family have some priorities, such as a child of a monarch becoming the immediate successor and so on? Uh, yeah, so that's that's it's directly reflected in the Raws right now uh, when you have the position that says that, that the successor is, is how that the, um, the uh, whatchamacallit, the entity position works. And so that's that's how we're going to have that have have it work for those positions but there aren't any really complicated uh family dynamics right now it's i mean it's all very early on still we're just starting um that that kind of thing for the larger world so it's not going to be completely interesting but we are going to have some basic stuff okay the next question comes from jordan and they ask can your adventure get better at jumping is there a skill based on the creature um there's just no uh there's no um no skills no nothing associated with that right now it's it's very simple it might not it might not actually last that way before we get to the release because because it is a little odd uh how it works now right now it's just based on your uh speed so the faster creatures that can sprint faster and then press the jump button can jump farther based on their on their speed 
but I don't have a skill for it. Attributes don't matter yet. There's there's just not a lot of, um, because it's either one, two, or three tiles or whatever, there's not too much resolution there. And having it, having it, I, I, it'd be nice to think of a way if it's not, if it's based on too many things of like knowing how far you're going to be able to jump before you arrive at the cliff face going full speed and then discover that you're just not going to jump far enough. So I've made the, the system right now acts in a predictable fashion and um, we'll we'll work from it uh, from there. But it's just good to have basic jumping in right now. Okay, the next question comes from John, and they ask, uh, when will the Dwarven economy find its way back into the game? It made the process of growing a fortress feel much more grand and important. Now, this is the second question about the Dwarven economy, and I would just want to say that, uh, you know, going back in time, the uh, the original economy, I think, was so that you would make coins and the coins would be paid to dwarves that would randomly slip them around in the fortress in their rooms just so that the adventurer would come in and find treasure in every room, kind of, I think, was the original idea for that. So th- that's how it started anyway. <laughs> yeah, it was it was just about treasure placement. We would made sure that they always brought the coins back to the rooms <laughs> so that when you were wandering around the fortress, there'd be it'd be a, it'd be a nice surprise anytime or not really surprised if you remember your own fortress but just opening the door and there's there's the treasure and uh obviously we've grown, <laughs> grown a bit beyond that and then we got annoyed with the economy and took it out um so i, I think we i i don't recall but i think we said earlier that the um taverns and inns is our current thinking right now about uh when the dwarven economy is going to restart i don't know if that makes the uh the fortress feel grand and important because you turn the fortress into a inn before the economy yeah. finds its way back to the game it's sort of the opposite uh, i think the other problem with it is that all the dwarves just never had enough jobs like the, the mass of amounts of uh of uh stragglers just they they didn't have enough money to pay for their rooms and stuff like that the uh the idlers yeah it's 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 a difficult a difficult problem to get to get everything working right, but uh, yeah, maybe your dwarves will clamor for more jobs a little more aggressively than they did before if you start ignoring them and they start going broke. But we'll have to see how it how it pans out. It's one of the things where uh, next time the economy goes in the game, there's no chance for it getting turned off again. I mean, if we if we go into it, we're gonna dedicate ourselves to fixing it because it's more time for it now. I think it was a little premature. Uh, when we tried to have it before and didn't have the larger world, didn't have any goods in the larger world. Now that all that stuff's in, the the economy can actually make sense, and we can start working it into trading with with other people and so on, and make all of those systems consistent based on supply and demand, all that kind of thing. So it's it's uh, when when we uh, when we do it next time, it'll be for keeps. Okay. So next question comes from Ben. And yes, are magmatic pistons going to, ever going to be implemented? It would be fun to move Z levels around once you get enough resources. Well, um, so we did promise moving fortress pieces. Uh, we don't really know what that's going to involve. If that involves taking a rope and hauling things around a shaft like an elevator, or if that involves you know magma-driven mechanized mech fortresses with particle projection cannons or whatever that shoot magma at people who has, who who knows what what people will come up with when we once we put in the mechanics uh fluid messing with fluids is always um annoying because <laughs> because fluids take so much processing time and so on so i i'm not i'm not sure what 
exactly is going to come out of it. Um, as I, as I said earlier with, with mechanisms and machines, we don't really have a feel for that stuff. So people just come up with their specs and uh, ideas. And, uh, when we get to the moving fortresses, if people have, uh, have stuff for us to look at, we're going to consider everything and there's going to be a whole lot of stuff going in at that time, uh, all kinds of uh, bits and pieces. Uh, we're going to try and think about making things as as sort of uh, into uh, their little constituent elements as much as possible so that people can uh, realize all kinds of different machines and not just go by some script that we wrote for them. So, uh, yeah, just, just keep throwing our ideas uh, at us on that stuff. And when we get to it, we're going to do some interesting things, hopefully. Okay, the next question is from Yoka, and he asked, Toady, since you have a math background, do you actually sit down with a pen and paper and do mathematical models and equations before starting to implement them? Um, well, the, 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 the tablet comes out uh, quite a bit, but it's mostly for map making, just drawing, drawing the maps and then, uh, and then uh, thinking about how to, how to make them pop up. It's hardly ever for, for equations. I'll occasionally... Uh, write down write down something like that, but math doesn't get super complicated in Dwarf Fortress. There there's linear algebra and there's um, of course lots of regular algebra, but not not modern algebra, just the old type of algebra from junior high that kind of thing. Uh, so yeah, it's just not you know not a whole lot of Bonnock spaces coming into it or anything that I studied. No geometric measure theory in the game at all. Um, so not really. I mean, it's not. I mean, I I do I do write down equations sometimes just to kind of get the um, get the scaling right uh, when you've got a bunch of different variables. But it's nothing. I don't think that that wouldn't normally be done. Okay. And the next question is Zach. What is your professional background? Well, all I have to say is ha. I don't have one. <laughs> I'm a professional author, professional <laughs> game designer. Well. No, I've never really had a real job. I think um, my background, I guess, is I have a, a, a bachelor's in, in uh, ancient history, and I've taken a lot of computer science classes, and I actually have written quite a few games that never got released. But, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's all I can say, really. I mean, I've, had a, I've worked kind of manual labor-type jobs most of my life, so I really... Yeah, professional professional author. <laughs> okay. okay, the next question is from Oracle. Are you planning to make skulls and brains a little more tough? Every fight seems to end with the skull being jammed through the brain. Uh, well, hopefully this is already fixed for the next release. Um, I didn't add... I didn't go quite the direction I, I guess I wanted to end up going there by adding more geometric information to the parts and stuff to kind of explain what the part looks like. There just wasn't enough time, but I made them larger. I mean, I don't I remember they were kind of a ridiculous size. So uh, they the, the largeness for now, I think, helps enough. And uh, if we want to get them back to a um, uh, an appropriate uh, size and geometry and hardness and all that. Uh, it might get tweaked later on, but I've been pretty happy with the results of sitting there and sort of boxing someone in the head over and over, not just having their skull collapse after a few hits. Uh, it, it takes quite a bit more uh, in the next release. Okay, the next question is from Dark Ant. They ask, 
Could you speak about procedural methods you use in Dwarf Fortress? Which methods are more successful than you, ex than you expected, and which methods do you wish you had spent less time on? Do you have any general advice about integrating procedural content into the games? Um, so I don't, I don't have a kind of formal background here. So, so in terms of names, I mean, I've, I've mentioned in the past the uh, the kind of um, midpoint displacement, diamond square stuff, pearl and noise. Uh, that you can use for for map generation. Um, everything else is just uh, trial and error. So I, I don't have specific um, named algorithms to recommend and ones that I wouldn't. Uh, it's it's uh, just all about iteration, getting something that you can see, and then asking yourself, how does this deviate from what I expected? Especially if you're doing like sort of real world modeling or or at least fantasy world modeling in the sense that you know what to expect more or less. You can always fix your deviations. Um, and uh, I mean, not always, but, but uh, it's not, it's not as bad as it, as it might seem to think about what's going wrong, why it's going wrong, looking at your algorithm and what, what kind of element that actually exists in reality or what uh, would cause the deviation. Um, things usually, unless you iterate over hundreds of years, for instance, in World Gen or whatever, you're not going to get some kind of crazy chaos behavior that that is beyond your control. Most of the time, it is in your control, and you can you can um, you can think about those things and add add to it. So I mean, it's, it's just uh, I mean, I guess that I'm not sure if any of that actually counts as advice because it's just like keep trying and you'll you'll get your uh, you'll get your result and just try and try and think consciously about what you're doing because all of the bugs have reasons that they happened and all of the deviations have reasons that they happened. That's right. Never give up. <laughs> okay. The next question comes from Matt. Will we ever see good wizards, i.e. Gandalf, come into worlds and build towers like the ne like the necromancers do? What sort of plans do you have for them, and how would you interact? With, how would they interact with player fortresses? Do you have to be nice to have a good wizard visit the fortress every few years to heal your paralyzed and armless dwarves? Well, this one, th we, there was actually a good wizard in the beginning, uh, in the first few versions of Dwarf Fortress that would come and and uh, and and ask for uh, help to defeat a evil. Yeah, yeah, it was an army of the dead, army right? Of the dead, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He'd actually, when he asked for help, he asked kind of specifically for one of the dwarves. I don't remember if he asked for any dwarf, or I think he might have asked yeah, for a dwarf by name or something. He's yeah, like, I must bring Urist with me, <laughs> and then so he kind of have his little mini Hobbit journey or whatever. Yeah, I can't remember <laughs> if the if he uh, if the army of the dead would come anyway. And he would just pick. No, no, he, no, no. They uh, could thwart it. They could thwart it. And uh, if, if if they failed to thwart it, uh, like if you if you uh, they never failed to thwart it. But if you failed to send off the 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 dwarf that the Gandalf type wizard wanted to st steal, then one of your dwarves would have a dream when they were sleeping that an army of the dead was coming. And then it was always around the sixth year of the fortress or something that an army of the dead would come. And it would be a difficult a difficult fight, um, especially in the two D version when you're kind of boxed in. Uh, and uh, have them having have them coming at you and never leaving. Uh, so I guess to answer the question, um, it's certainly the type of thing we want to consider. I mean, I have no idea building towers. I, I think it's we're going to try and have a broader idea of what what they do and how they act and what 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 things they can do. 
Um, and yeah, I mean, I don't know if they'd come and heal your paralyzed and harmless dwarves or whatever. That's, that's wishful thinking in a hard world, right? <laughs> Sometimes dwarves are just, um, you know, they have to deal with their consequences of, of your actions. Yes. Okay. The next question is from ACOS. They ask, will you ever implement ports and make trades and sieges possible on isolated islands? How much do you plan to incorporate oceans into gameplay? Can we expect to see warships or pirate ships that can fire on forts or each other? Uh, so we love this stuff, right? We have, uh, we, we played pirates and, and ancient art of the war at sea and stuff. And, uh, the and book, multiple yeah. submarine simulators. <laughs> right now I'm reading the, the whole kind of history of one of the big Greek wars and there's triremes ramming everyone and, and, uh, doing all kinds of things and so on. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we, we love boats. We've talked in the past about, uh, how boats might work, so we don't need to go in kind of the technical details. Those would be in the transcripts of the old talks, um, but it's it's definitely uh, one of the things that we're we're planning to do, and according to kind of incorporate it fully into into gameplay everywhere. Okay, Adkos's second question is: Are you planning to have roots in the larger trees that reach down into the first cavern layer? Uh, I guess so. So I guess actually most tree roots don't actually go very deep underground at all. Uh, there are a few exceptions, and we've got we've got parameters now that let you um, let you kind of set what the roots do for your trees. And it'd probably be more. I think I don't remember if it's oaks or one of them has a big tap root or something. But even then, the tap root doesn't kind of go down through you know. 50 tiles of granite or whatever at the same time it's a cool image right to have roots coming down into the uh into the cavern uh having a dragon nibble on the bottom of them <laughs> the world tree that goes down into the uh into the land of the dead and all that kind of thing so uh i think it'll happen sometime uh maybe not with the traditional trees maybe with the fantasy trees maybe in stranger environments, but um, yeah, we like roots, we like trees. Okay, the next question comes from Ocarina56, and they ask, do you have any plans to, for the expansion of farming in the near or further future? It's been noted that the current farming system is one of the last systems that produces free stuff with no drawback. Do you have, a, the, have, a, have on the drawing board any plans for an overhaul or expansion of the current agricultural system? Uh, so we don't have a timeline for it. Um, you can see the notes on the on the dev page, and of course that's supplemented by multiple forum threads uh, that are pretty hefty on this uh, on this topic. Um, we're all for reforming far farming. We we got, kind of took a morale hit when we got rid of our Nile flood farming from the 2D version. That's very difficult to bring back into a 3D system, and so I just haven't gotten back to farming uh, since then. Um, and and it's only kind of gotten uh, worse and worse over time. Um, at some point, we'll we'll come back and and clean that up, though. Um, yes, it kind of reminds me of the, the the water for booze question. It's just like it would make the game twenty times as hard if you couldn't get mushrooms from nothing. But uh, uh, yeah, and at the same time, uh, you know, people want a little bit of a little bit of challenge uh, when it comes to those systems. Hopefully, not too annoying. But kind of interesting, maybe you know, terrain based, that kind of thing. Um, it is too easy, to yeah, yeah. So so yes, yes. We'll have we're we're definitely definitely pro pro stuff, pro new farming. 
Okay, the next question is from Mark, and they say, will we see more dynastic and clannish behavior, or are the dwarves intended to remain mostly individual-oriented? Can a usurper generally count on the support of his brethren, even if his claim on the position isn't really valid in the eyes of other people? How will vampires and bandit gangs and other sorts of groups factor in? Um, so the, this is one of the things that when we started these position claims and we started talking about factions and so on, and we talked about having reputations with families and so on, this is one of the things we were thinking about. Uh, and one of the actual main things we were thinking about, because families are, are one of the only things in the game right now that are links between people that could determine their behavior. There's not a whole lot for them to work with uh, right now other than what town they live in and what civilization they're from and then who their family is. Uh, I wouldn't expect too much with this next release because there's just no there's no mechanisms through which they can act um, on on sort of realizing their ambitions right now. So we're kind of pre-army arc and just trying to get the the ball rolling uh, on some really basic mechanics, but it's it's definitely the intention to have um, uh, the families matter a lot more. When you bring up things like bandit gangs, they right now the bandit gangs exist in a vacuum, but they are generally led by historical figures that have family ties nearby in the in the communities that they're that they're harassing and so on, and that that should have a huge impact. Uh, whether or not it's it's to create conflict within the family or to have their family aiding aiding them in their activities and so on, and of course vampires can get all strange with that kind of thing. So it's it's definitely the the exact sort of thing we want to milk to get great sort of emergent stories. It's one of the main elements we want to use. At the same time, we have done nothing <laughs> aside from the few things in fortress mode that can happen. So, um, yeah, but it's, it's definitely something we're always looking at and always kind of uh, uh, delaying the, uh, <laughs> the realization of, but it's, it's always there, and hopefully we'll get to that. Okay, the next question is from Meg, and they ask, will we be getting bug fixes to polish the already existing parts of Dwarf Fortress, like the AI, or, will the next, or in the next version, and if so, to what extent? So after, after this release. So when you ask about the next version, not really. I mean, there's a big, big kind of AI guts rewrite that that's actually happened in Fortress mode uh, regarding their prioritization and so on, and how they how they think about things. That's going to make things like job priorities more of a low hanging fruit in the future. But when it comes to actual bug fixing, that's not what these large releases are intended to accomplish. And what happens right after the large release? is a series of smaller releases, sometimes, uh, you know, a couple in a week or, or, or um, and, and, and many, many, many of them uh, that will address old bugs, new bugs, clean up portions of the interface, address minor annoyances, and add in features to the game that, that are just meant to be more helpful uh, to people playing, uh, especially things like Fortress Mode, which uh, we've, we've been... Um, uh, neglecting a bit with our focus on adventure mode uh, in the in the big releases, uh, fortress mode sees a lot of changes in these uh, these smaller releases as well. So, if you're uh, waiting for things like that, uh, don't pin all your hopes on the next version. But that should be the time when you uh, when you um, get excited about about fortress mode and what and and fixes and bug fixes polishing and that kind of thing. So 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 you should be excited about the next release because it means it'll be the beginning of the process that you want. Okay, cool. So the next one is 
from Anthony, and they ask, in Fortress with 100 or so dwarves managing the labor settings of military composition to keep the fortress working, it becomes difficult due to the micromanagement involved. Is there a way that the player will be able to, at some point, no longer need need to worry about what what dwarves do which jobs or who exactly will be filling a particular squad? So the the kind of question here, it's, it's sort of a... Um, uh, it has to do with. Uh, it comes down to two different philosophies of how a large fort should be handled. There's kind of the, um, I, I'd say I don't know, Majesty method or something where the dwarves manage more of their own affairs, could even set work for them. Excuse me, set work for themselves and so on, and uh, kind of have less involvement from you and sort of realize their own little lives that way. And of course the problem with that method is that you lose control as a player over some of the things you want to do. Then there's the other, the other branch you could take, which is improving the ability to uh, set jobs and micromanage uh, things that, that utilities like dwarf or dwarf therapist and so on do with the sort of the, uh, the spreadsheet approach or otherwise to make um, more management possible where it just kind of breaks down with the methods we're currently using. And uh, we we are not really for a sort of spreadsheet approach. We want to have, um, we want to try and find another solution. I'm not saying we have even found uh, a solution there. And uh, we like Dwarven autonomy, but um, we are kind of mindful of the fact that it can take control out of your hands. So without kind of committing to to a specific course of action, those are the things that we're mindful of. And uh, we definitely realize that it's not a tenable position that we're holding now, that the game really does become hard to work with when you have lots of dwarves. And uh, we'll just have to kind of work with that um, slowly when we get to the, the next set of releases and so on. Okay, the next question is from Mr. Wilsaws, and I asked, to what extent will invaders be able to dig? Will they only be able to dig for a certain number of Z levels or through certain certain types of stone? Will different races be able to dig it to different extents? Well, it's it's hard to say <laughs> exactly what's going to happen. Um, we we they should be able to affect a a siege upon you that uh, can invade a fort that is, you know, where you just shut your door or something silly like that, and that's supposed to, you know, save you from everybody. Or throw uh, up a brick wall or something. Yeah, just something like that, just not, not very impressive. At the same time, it would be very silly if the invaders could come and just sort of dig out your whole map and dig down giant, like turn your whole fortress into a quarry or whatever. Um, and I, I definitely think that the different races would end up having different abilities. Uh, and uh, I, I mean, if you, if you got invaded by dwarves, uh, I think expecting your fortress to have new tunnels would be a very fair thing to expect. Um, and goblins, goblins too, for that matter, the way they're shaping up, they have have kind of an underground, tunnely nature to them. Whereas uh, humans um, should have some some things they could they could try to do, but wouldn't necessarily involve a lot of tun- tunneling unless you've kind of restricted yourself to the soil layers. Um, it is it is odd in the sense that the the time frame is is so fast that. Uh, you you should you 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 could have a siege that lasts a whole year, and in that time, 
there could be some digging done even in real life. Uh, but it's, um, I mean, I, I'm mindful of people that don't want their fortresses utterly destroyed by, by digging, but yeah, the whole brick wall thing is just silly. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, we're not going to have them like making a weird sort of Swiss cheese pattern out of your fortress, but, um, if, if they don't cheat and they don't know where your fortress is, they are going to have to do kind of exploratory tunnels all around your entrance or whatever. So yeah, we'll have to see how that turns out. Okay, the next question is from Hamilton's. And they ask, I know that you do not have plans for a multiplayer option anytime soon. Do you at least have plans for shared worlds with uh, trade between players? So we've, we've seen these ideas and, and things like this, suggestion board and so on, that you might be able to export a file um, that has like a trade caravan that you sent off the side of your map or an army that you've marched off the side of your map and then you'd save it in a file that might be you know, lightly encrypted in some way and then you could send it off to your, your friend and then your friend could load it. They might not even know if it would be an army or a trade caravan or something and then they get that marching on the map. You could kind of send those back and forth. I mean, it's, it's, it's a fun idea. Um, it's not, not really a high priority idea and that there's difficulties there with the RAWs. You'd have to make sure they have the same kind of raw files that you do exactly or the whole thing would break down. And even, even, uh, even things like world history and so on can get in the way if you're not in this if you're not in the same world then references that you send off the map on on like the artwork on an item for instance would no longer uh, be legal so there'd be all kinds of little bugs and things to work out and all kinds of particulars to iron out so it just hasn't been a high priority i think it's a cool idea but um yeah it's just not not something that that's going to happen anytime soon the next question is from eggman 360 yes do you think we should be able to dip items into liquids or wash items or collect liquids and other contaminants? Absolutely. Absolutely. We we, we love this. Uh, yeah, we would we'd be somewhere behind NetHack <laughs> if we didn't have this in there. Yeah, especially because we have item contaminants. We have this really kind of complicated poison system. Uh, we, we already have dwarves that wash stuff. Uh, and we can have liquid. We already have liquids that can be in containers. I mean, so it's really just a very, very low-hanging fruit for adventure mode. I'm assuming it's adventure mode that's being talked about here, uh, because of the way the question was phrased. So it's it's. Um, but even in dwarf mode, being I mean, that's one of the things where where we kind of thought it was undwarfy to kind of coat your stuff with poison or whatever. But uh, so so yeah, definitely um, you should have complete freedom to do any of those things. You should be able to dip an arrow in vampire blood and shoot it at somebody and possibly infect them or whatever. I mean, any kind of, uh, any kind of option like that. I mean, you could do that at, once you become a vampire, just constantly get your blood all over stuff and, and try and convert the whole world. And then we'd probably have to look at that conversion mechanic and change it to something a little more traditional or something because it's just get out of control, but, uh, or, or allow it to float. Yes. Yes. Okay, so the next question, or the last question, actually, is from Daniel, and he asks if there's any plans in, in the future to improve the interface for placing buildings or furniture. Um, so there are never, never specific plans about doing something, um, you know, on any kind of timeline or whatever, and, and, and for things like interface changes, when we kind of get in the mood, to like the recent change to the unit screen, it's just kind of something that's been either sitting in the notes or that people had kind of suggested um, at some point in the past. So I don't have I don't have a, a specific things there. There there are things you can do. I, I guess if I remember correctly, the uh, 
the full context of the question was was uh, for for things like placing um, if you want to place a bunch of furniture out of the same material, just doing simple things with sort of uh, uh, keeping track of which material you last placed or um, being able to place multiple buildings without it having to pop you back out of the menu. And um, there are certain complications with that uh, when it when it needs to know uh, what what items are available and whether or not they're accessible and all that kind of thing. So I think, I'm, I'm not sure, but I haven't thought about it too deeply, but, but ditching the system where it, it uh, um, earmarks a specific item uh, or, or rather leaving that system as an option, but making, making most things just you place it and you say a desired material and the item's not necessarily earmarked. Uh, it might might work better, but then again, you'll get into more situations where the item is unavailable uh, if it's not telling you. So it's I mean it's it's kind of a complicated mess, but uh, definitely I I can see when you're when you're placing certain types of rooms that the um, the repetitive stress injuries that we cause to the player are, are pretty unacceptable, and there should definitely be options for going ahead with it even if you even if you're not just kind of assured of having the materials available. All right, well, that brings an end to the questions. I hope everybody's satisfied with their answers. <laughs> yeah, so that was, uh, I think that was about 30 people, and we've got another uh, 70 or so to go. <laughs> so yeah. we'll, uh, we'll, we'll catch those in the, uh, in the future Dwarf Fortress talks. We're moving through the questions at a good clip now, and uh, hopefully we'll get to everybody. All right, thank you, everybody, for, uh, for contributing and listening and downloading. And tell all your friends about Dwarf Fortress. listening to another amazing episode of the Dwarf Fortress podcast. I'd like to thank... Uh, hold up. <laughs> <laughs> There's like 18 people to thank. That's uh, right. That's right. Yeah, well, I've, got the, I've got a list written down here. You can start with the ones you remember, and then I'll come up with some other ones. I'd like to thank uh, Rainseeker. That's right. He's, on, he's, he's at the top of the list. Thanks. Thank you. Tody. <laughs> yep, I'm Tarn. number three. I'm number three. Tarn is number three on the list. What do you think number two is, then? Uh, scamps. No, 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 no. Zach. You, Captain. No, it's Zach. you. Thank yourself. Oh, it's me. Thank me. <laughs> I am contributing. Um, Emily Menendez. That's yeah. right. My sister. And Olier, these are the music peoples. And all then, of our uh, viewers. That's right. All of our viewers and people that view the <laughs> podcast when they look at the... I'm the flying end. blind here. It's, that's right. It's tough. <laughs> everyone that asks questions, they get yeah, thanks. Yeah. So everyone who contributed, that's, uh, that's, that's definitely on the list. Uh, I don't know what the transcript situation is. Malox did transcripts up to, up to a point, and then uh, he retired uh, for a time. And someone did a transcript for... We never put it up, but someone did a transcript in the thread for Dwarf Fortress Talk 20... And I'm not sure if Malox is coming back or not, and uh, so we'll we'll uh, thank Malox uh, for the transcriptions uh, that he did. He did a great job. Yeah, thanks, Malox. Yeah, and then uh, whatever happens, we've got uh, we've got other transcripts in the future. They'll either be uh, crowdsourced transcripts, uh, like the last one. I, 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 if I remember, I, I want to credit the right people eventually, but we'll uh, we'll do that when I figure out how to put it online and stuff. And uh, and the same situation holds for this episode. So, yeah, 
And any, um, by the way, I have a little business called MeasuresOfJoyBakery.com where you can order gluten-free goodies if you like. And um, they look really free. nice. Yeah, they're really good. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, they're they're really good. My my wife uh, spent eight years developing gluten free recipes, so they're excellent. Yeah, yeah, we have a link. I think uh, a link, a link, a link. Yep. And, and uh, yeah, and Captain's got his things going on. Yeah, it's always a party over there. <laughs> Working on stuff. It's stuff. Fun. Okay, are we keeping the boy here? I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do with this this recalcitrant fat kid that jumped into my lap. Causing trouble. Causing grief. Ah! Ah, he's got claws. Now he's in the back of your chair. Yeah, okay. That's a good place for him. 